Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Hey y'all. So today's episode is brought to you by Superior Light Company. Man, they make an awesome light. Their walking light and double red are as bright as I've ever seen. If you don't believe me, go over to the Facebook page at Coon Hunting U and check out the video I got going through all the colors and the main beam. You can get it at nighthunters.com. You can use discount code CHUPODCAST to receive almost $20 off of a Hellcat Max, which is an awesome deal. It's an exclusive deal for Coon Hunting University podcast listeners. They are a great light. I cannot say enough about them. I thank them so much for supporting this podcast, and I ask y'all to please go support them. So today... I'm joined by Mr. Jack Smith of Misty River Kennels. Mr. Jack's a great man. He's well known within the blue tick breed. And we will be discussing blue ticks, but I don't care if you're blue tick, walkers, black and tans, red bones, whatever. You need to listen to this because Mr. Jack has an important message to share, and I believe it's interesting to everyone. Before we get started, I'd like to thank Jeremy Purvis for getting us together and for also getting Mr. Jack to my house so that we can conduct this interview. I had a great time with these guys. They gave me a free hat, so thank you, Jeremy and Mr. Jack, for that. So his kennel name is Misty River Kennels. We're going to be going over the background of Misty River Kennels. We're going to talk about Mr. Dave Dean. We're also going to talk about other lines of blue ticks. Mr. Jack's going to tell us some pretty funny stories and some really cool stories that he has about coon hunting. He has a ton of experience, and I think everyone should listen to this. He's one of those people that I highly respect and always have. So without further ado, here's the interview, Mr. Jack Smith. Hey, Mr. Jack. I'm happy to have you here. Glad to be here. Yes, sir. If you could, please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I guess as you you could say that my dad got me started in this hunting of all kinds, deer hunting. And my dad was a sharecropper, and we always hunted from the time we was just small kids, you know. Coon hunting, it was a it was a little different. My dad coon hunted back in his earlier years, but uh, at that time we wasn't coon hunting. Dad fox hunted and deer hunted. I always had a pack of dogs there. At that time, he wasn't deer hunting, and we didn't have any coon dogs. We had one old dog there, a big-headed, ticked-up dog with long ears. He had always been a good deer dog and fox dog, but it, and as, as he grew older, then he got the tree and coon. Of course, that was my, right up my alley. I took him. We lived on a farm, had a creek running behind the house and all that. And When this dog got the tree and coons, well, I took over then. I wasn't about 12, 13 years old. I'd go out at night on that creek and tree coons. Well, that worked pretty good till my dad's old fox dogs got to following us along. Me and old Buck, that was that dog's name. We soon had them treeing. Well, you know that, how that went over my dad. Of course, he didn't know nothing about his, his dogs, his other dogs treeing coons. He knew Buck did until one night, one morning he went deer hunting. Oh, he was going to turn loose. He turned loose not too far off in an old slough there, and old Buck struck a coon. Well, them other dogs joined in. He thought he had a deer going, you know. They got out of their ways down that slough, and Buck treed, and he treed the rest of them they got with him. Dad didn't go in for that too much. When he got back home, he, he let me know it, and it wasn't long that Dad got rid of Buck. So that stopped my coon hunting for a while after he got rid of him. And, you know, I went off in the oil field and got married and raising a family and all that. I moved off down in, in Louisiana in the oil field, you know, working down there. And later on, me and my wife decided we'd move back to Mississippi. And uh, 
when I came back, got a store up there in Oakville. That's where all the hunters of all kind meet up. I was up there one morning and run up on two of my old friends, uh, Ellis Bass and Larry Spikes. Got to talking coon hunting. Well, I got a little closer to them when that happened. They was talking about a guy that I'd never met, never heard of, from Monticello, Mr. J.W. Williams. And uh, he was a coon hunter, had registered dogs. I'd never seen much less hunting with a registered dog. We talked there, and they was, it just so happened Mr. Williamson was coming down to Oakville that night to hunt. And I asked them, you know, reckon it'd be all right if I tagged along. And they said, sure. Well, we met up there at that store that night with Mr. J.W. We left there and went out not far from where I live now. Hunted with a, his two dogs. He had a Pearl River Blue Blue and Pearl River Blue Ruby. They were the first registered dogs I ever walked in the woods with. But we treated a couple of coons that night and everything went well. And uh, it just so happened that Mr. Williamson had Ruby bred at that time. I talked him in, well, I didn't have to talk him into it, but uh, we discussed it, and I asked him if I could get a pup. That's what Williamson said, yeah. Said, told me what he was selling them for. Of course, $125, that was a lot of money to me at that time. And so, but uh, anyway, we I told him I wanted one. I knew I'd have to work some extra time to get it, but I was going to get the pup. Time run on, you know, and those pups were born. I got one of the pups and named her Gypsy. So it went well a while, you know, uh, training and all. She wouldn't tree. She's tree for a minute and be gone. Well, of a track dog. Later on, Mr. Williamson had another litter of pups out of the old blue-blue dog and a female he had there. He let me do some work for him to get that pup. But uh, we went on there, and I named him Jim. Well, time started on Gypsy, and... She just wasn't, just wasn't making it. Well, I let somebody else have her, and then I, I started hunting Jim. Well, Jim made a coon dog. He was a nice dog. He went on, made Grand Night and all that. That's where my coon dogs really started. And what year was that? Mid-60s, probably, somewhere in there. So what are some of the major events that you've placed in or maybe some dogs that you've owned that other people were handling at that time? In 1975, I won the high-scoring female at the Fall Roundup in Hope, Arkansas. Third place on Friday night and second place on Saturday night, a high-scoring female. That was with Molly. She went on. She was a whale of a dog. She was out of Hammer 2 and Pearl River Ruby. She made a whale of a dog. And uh, after that, uh, in 1981, I won the Fall Roundup in Pine Bluff, Arkansas with a little bell jip, but she was out of Molly. I won first place on Friday night and first place on Saturday night and high scoring dog of the hunt. In 1989, 86, an old bullet dog that I had then, he won the Grand Night Champion on Saturday night at the Everett Vaughn's Memorial Hunt in Greenville, Mississippi. In 1987, I was hunting a little dog named Misty, and she was a high scoring female at the Fall Roundup in Boonville, Arkansas. She won her cast both nights. In 1989, at the Fall Roundup in Hope, Arkansas, again, Stringer's Blue Bullet. I won Grand Night with him Friday and Saturday night. High scoring dog and uh, King of the Hunt. And a son out of Bullet at the same hunt. He won ninth place in the All Blue Hunt and sixth place on Friday night. Fall Roundup in Forest, Mississippi, Dial 2. 
won first place grand night on Friday night. 1990, at the fall roundup in, in Hope, Arkansas, my little female June, she won fourth place on Friday night and fifth place on Saturday night. And she was queen of the hunt and high scoring dog of the hunt. In 2009, at the fall roundup in West Plains, Missouri, Dahl Four placed fourth there. In uh, 2011, fall roundup in Florida, Illinois, Sheba won second place. In 1995, at the American Heritage Hunt in Hearn, Texas, Indian Joe Dog, he won eighth place Friday and Saturday night in high scoring blue tick male. In 2002, Mississippi State Grand Night Champion winner was the Lake Dog. 2002, won a classic high scoring blue tick female in Albany, Georgia, was Dahl 2. In 2003, the Mississippi State Champion winner was Dahl 2. In 1991, the Mississippi State Show Champion in BBOA was Dahl 1. In 1993, ACHA Little World Hunt, Dahl 1 was a uh, she won fourth place overall and was a high scoring blue tick female at the ACHA Little World Hunt in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. So, for the people that might not know, the doll name is almost like Wimp Aaron with the Queen dogs, right? That was your generational name? Yeah. Did you call them all doll or yeah. did you have nicknames for each no, of them? I called them all doll. So, I've lived in South Mississippi my whole life, you know, not far from you, and I've never heard of a Misty River. So where does that name come from? That's your kennel name. You know, I was trying to get a kennel name. The old Jim dog that I had to start with, he was Smith's Blue Jim. Of course, he was still here when I changed to Misty River. And from Dahl on through the rest of them, it was Misty River. We just listened to you name all these winners and everything that you've had, and dogs off of your kennel have won. Tell me about your line of blue ticks and what has been the key to the constant success for them. My line of dogs all started with a little blue tick female that belonged to Mr. J.W. Williamson of Monticello. Me and Mr. Woodrow had been talking for a long time. He had bred her two or three times to a a dog of uh, T.C. Jones named Blue Blue, which was one of the top dogs in the country at that time. Didn't work. The cross didn't work with Ruby and the blue blue dog it just didn't click so we finally decided that we'd breed her to hammer two belonged to dave dean in dialing michigan when ruby come in season mr i met mr woodrow there in monticello and he asked me if i was ready to make a trip to dialing michigan and i knew what he was talking about so naturally i jumped at it and uh, next morning i was on my way to dialing michigan we got up there and i got to meet dave dean I got to hunt that night with Hammer 2 and Hammer 3, which were both nice dogs. Like I say, we hunted that night, and we treed a couple of coons. The next morning, we bred Ruby, and uh, I was on my way back to Mississippi. So when the litter was born, I picked out a male pup. I named him Cajun. Of course, he made a coon dog, you know, doing real good at a young age. Probably, He's probably running treeing at five or six months old. I was hunting him and Jim one night over on a in a cornfield and that close pretty close to a blacktop road. Well when they struck, they headed out across to that road. A car come through and hit one of them. I didn't know which one at the time and then I heard Jim trailing on so I knew the Cajun dog was the one got hit. 
Well, when I got out to the road, Cajun was there. He was already dead. After I caught up with, with Jim throwing on tree to coon, I got, I went on, got him, and come back and loaded them all up and loaded Cajun up and come on back home. I buried Cajun. The next morning, I went over to Mr. Woodrow's and got to talking to him, told him what had happened, and asked if, he, if there was another, might be another litter mate to the Cajun dog around. And he told me, yeah, there was one female that he had sold to an older guy that really just bought, the, bought her to keep the possums and stuff out of his chickens. I knew I had something at my house that would work real good for that. I went on back to the house, and I loaded a, a little female I had up. She was death on possums. I went on over to the guy's house. We made the swap, and I think both of us were real happy. Molly, she was already seven, eight months old, you know, and so she was ready to start hunting, so, and she went right at it. She just took right up where Cajun left off. She went on to make a whale of a dog. She made Grand Night and won a lot of hunts. She was one of the, well, she was the second dog in my line of dogs. So... What are the most important traits that you look to replicate in your breeding program? Well, probably nose. That's the most hardest, the hardest thing I've found to keep consecutive, you know, is, is a good nose on a dog. And then probably uh, mouth and speed in that order probably. And, uh, but that's, that's the most thing I look for in, uh, in my dogs is, you know, is cold trailing. Uh, I'm a pleasure hunter, really. I always loved competition hunt, but I, I had to coon hunt that same dog through the week, competition hunt on the weekend. Probably just the, uh, the nose would be the greatest thing that I could see in them. And I've heard other people say the mouth was the hardest to replicate, so I guess it may be just what type of dog you're dealing with, yeah. huh? We always had a good mouth on our dogs, and I, I never really had to worry about that, the nose on them, but... So I know you said you pleasure hunt now, but you used competition hunt hard back in the day, right? Right. How much influence did competition hunting have on your breeding program? I don't think competition hunting really had a lot to do with my breeding program. Because like I said, I hunted the same dog. Uh, the same dog I'd competition on on the weekend. I'd have to coon hunt them through the uh, weeks too and pleasure hunting. I like to enjoy a coon hunt you know if you turn a dog loose and he goes a mile to strike that dog won't stay around me too long but uh those dogs uh you know that i have it's you know they open quick and they open fairly regular on a track they have good noses on them you know they can all get the job done but what is the foundation of your line of blue ticks i started my line of blue ticks like i said earlier with a uh, a little blue tick female named pearl river ruby I hunted with her a long time, and, and I later years I bought her and had her at house, but uh, at the first I didn't. And uh, the line of dogs in my in my dogs would be Pearl River and Hammer and Smoky River. It's what I have now. So when Mr. Eddie Simmons was on the show, he talked about a dog named Bandit that won the first, I guess it was PCA then, right, Winter Classic. You owned a brother to Bandit, right? Can you yeah. talk about those two dogs and what they were come off of? Bandit, I didn't know a whole lot about. I don't know a whole lot about Bandit. Only he was a good dog and he won a lot of hunts. But now the Bullet dog, I can probably write you a book on him. That was Stringer's Bullet, Bullet and Bandit. They was off of a, a cross I had made back earlier. I had bred my Molly dog 
to Hammer 5, and that's where uh, Rayburn Smoke come in. Well, that was a daddy to Bullet and Bandit. I bred him to a sister to Molly. That's pretty close family breeding, but that's where they came from. And there were some other dogs out of that litter that were good too, wasn't it? Yeah. How many generations can you say you have personally owned or hunted with in your current dog's pedigree? Ooh, that would be a bunch of them. Nine generations, it would be ten, well, it would be ten coming up. Yeah, I am a little Sheba female bred now. And when they, she has them, that would be the tenth out of that same line of dogs. But now we had other lines branching off of those dogs, you know. And like Bullet, we had probably three or four generations off Bullet that we had. But the dogs, that what I call in, in uh, my line of dogs, off the immediate line would be 10 generation. So can you talk about the different blue tick lines and what traits they carry that make them different? You know, such as Smoky River, Jet, Utchman, you know, Hammer. The Utchman dogs, I can't tell you a whole lot about them other than they was nice dogs, but I I never had one that I called an Utchman dog, you know, that that I had. I knew the Utchman boys that owned those dogs, and they were great guys. I knew that they won a lot, and I drawed them in competition. They were pretty good dogs, but uh, as far as ever owning one, I didn't. Now, the uh, Jet dogs, that was a product of Mr. Ed Mead. They came off of a branch off the Hammer dogs, and I don't know just how that all went about there, you know, but it, it's off in a branch of the Hammer dogs. I always kind of wanted me one of them because to get back kind of close to the hammer dogs again, you know. I talked about to Mr. C.W. Eldridge about maybe buying a female at some point, but I had never, it had never worked. I had never done it. Now, the hammer dogs, I raised those for a long time. I didn't really raise them a direct hammer dog, but other than our females bred into the hammer dogs is what always kept me going. When I got into the hammer dogs, Dave Dean was pushing hammer two and hammer three. Of course, when we bred Ruby, that kicked us off on the hammer dogs and her. And uh, the Smoky River dogs, that was a product of Mr. Uh, Warren Hauser. Warren didn't breed dogs as close and all as, as Dave did. There wasn't a whole lot of family breeding there, but Warren always kept a top dog and a reproducer at his place. That's about what I know about the Smoky River dogs, other than, you know, they're pretty strong in my dogs. Warren had the old chief dog and all those dogs, so he always kept a good dog. So you mentioned Dave Dean right there. You were talking about him earlier, how much influence that they have in your dogs. Talk about Mr. Dave Dean and the Hammer line. What made them so famous? Well, Dave and the Hammer dogs, they were famous and, and uh, because they were probably the, the top-notch blue ticks in the, in the blue tick line. Now, what made them famous is... Probably half Dave Dean and half Hammer Dogs, because if you if you ever got a chance to meet Dave Dean, he was a he was a great individual. Of course, his dogs won everything. They probably they won more than any other line of blue ticks that you know that are out there. Yeah, if you ever got a chance to meet Dave Dean, he was one of a kind. How many of the Hammer Dogs did you personally hunt with? You know, like Hammer two, three, four. The two dogs, Hammer 2 and Hammer 3, is the ones I hunted with. Well, I did go on a... I, Dave was at a hunt one night. Uh, I'm sure it was our fall roundup, probably, somewhere. But uh, 
he was there with Hammer 10, and I went out on his cast. I've heard how honest Dave was on a, on a hunt, but uh, that night I got to see it. You know, the judge didn't have to minus his dog. If, he, if his dog, like he done that night, made one bark off in the tree when he, once he treated him, Dave minus that dog. Of course, he still went ahead and won the hunt that night, but uh, he was that kind of individual. That sounds a lot like good karma, huh? Mm-hmm. The original hammer dogs like that, what type of dog were they? What style? Were they different from what we're hunting nowadays or the blue tick are nowadays? Not really. They might be a little, maybe been a little better. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, now, there were hammer three dog that night. You know, he had a, he had a better mouth, which he was younger dog, and uh, but both of them sound a lot alike. He had a pretty good ball on track, no deep chop on the tree, but they was uh, they was coon dogs. How about the tracking ability of the hammer dogs compared to today's dogs? They was uh, fast dogs. You know, they had to be for the amount of wins that they did. They was real track dogs. They wasn't no, like Hammer 2, he wasn't no big dog, but the booger was fast, and he could move a track. They had good noses on him. Hammer 3, he was a more of a streamlined built dog. He had more leg on him and all than Hammer 2 did, but I didn't see much difference in the way they moved them tracks. What year did you say it was that y'all first went up there to Dave Dean's and bred? The 70s, huh? Yeah, it was in the 70s. Had you ever been out of Mississippi much? Not a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> about them hunts, some of them hunts we went on about the only thing I'd go out of the state for. Yeah. It's different back then than it is nowadays. Yeah. The world's a lot smaller now. You think in the 70s from Mississippi to Michigan, that might have been as Mars. Oh, gosh. That was a trip for me. Especially to get up there and meet Dave Dean. You know, and he'd always, I always idolized him, you know, just you talk about Dave Dean and everybody met him liked him. Well, I mean, you know, you're going to meet a few that you don't, that don't do that. But uh, uh, he was uh, he was quite an individual. Yeah, I've even heard a lot of Walker guys compliment him and, you know, a different breeds. You know, everybody kind of looked up to him and respected him for sure. They did. They did. A lot of the big-time Walker men, you know, they, uh, they respected Dave Dean. I always heard that Hank Williams Jr. tried to buy a coon dog from him. Did you ever hear about that? Yes, sir, I did. Dave told me about it. Well, I don't, I, let me rephrase that. He didn't tell me about it. I've, I'd heard about it, you know. And uh, But yes, he did. He tried to buy Hammer 3. Yeah, Dave wouldn't sell him. And when I look at pictures of Dave Dean from back then, he looks like Hank Williams Jr. to me. <laughs> yeah, he was always dressed in that black and them dark glasses. A lot of people thought he wore those dark glasses just for show, you know, but he didn't. He was, Dave had bad eyes. And, uh, of course, he wore that black hat. And and uh, most of the time, he was dressed in old co- overalls or something. He was quite an individual. Yes, sir. He sounds like it for sure. I wish, you know, this podcast would have been around when he was. That way we could capture some of that. You it know? would have been great. It would have. It would have been great for the Coonut community. So what are some of the things that Dave Dean taught you in breeding or that you picked up from him that, would still make people successful today? Well, Dave taught me, you know, of course I've watched his breeding and uh, talked to him a little bit, you know, the, the time we met two or three times at hunts and stuff. But uh, 
you know, they bred his dogs tight. Now, they was family bred, and it might have been even inbred, you know. They was pretty tight. But he was, uh, he bred his dogs that way. And he told me that if you got the dogs, the right dogs, then you can breed them tight. You know, of course, if you don't got them, they ain't got the right dogs, then they're not going to, they're not going to carry on, you know. They're going to go their own way. But uh, if you got the right dogs and, in which I had a lot of his blood in mind, so I could do that too, you know, up to a certain point. So you were talking about how the Smoky River's heavy in your line now, the hammer's heavy in it, more back, so, right? Are there any major differences between the hammer line and the Smoky River line individually? Not a whole lot nowadays because you got so much of the same same dogs. Your Smoky River, you know, you don't have Dave Dean and Warren Hauser there breeding them. You know, you got different individuals, and I may say I got a Smoky River dog here two generations back. He's loaded up with hammer. So that's the way that goes. Is there anybody nowadays that is doing a Dave Dean type breeding with a hammer dog or with a Smoky River dogs, you know, pure? Well, they're trying to, but, you know, once Dave Dean and Mr. Warren Hauser left here, then they're mindset you know you don't know where they got them that other fellers got the dogs he's got that same mindset in the breeding uh now there's a guy ken herman up north and he got some of dave's dogs when dave died and uh you know he's breeding them now where he where he could breed the same dog i, I don't know so the smoky river dogs i had a smoky river dog one time when i was young he's a nice puppy i messed him up but he was a gray color with the open tick. I don't see too many Smoky River dogs that look like that anymore. And he was lion bred Smoky River. Um, I don't know what he went back to past his four generation, but what I could see on his papers, he was pretty much Smoky River. Where does the difference in color come from? Well, you don't just get that in the Smoky River dogs. You get it in about any of them. Uh, I was reading on a deal the other day where somebody had two almost walker-looking dogs of the Utchman strain. I had a I had that same stuff in the hammer dogs, you know. You just you might have a light, real light color one. He's real light, and the rest of them look like they should. But uh, that all that happen in it, most any of them, I think. I like the light gray color with the ticked up. I, I just yeah, I just like that look. I don't know why. I just do. It's pretty to me. So tell me about Smoky River Tramp and some of the puppies that he reproduced. Well, Smoky River Tramp, he was a he was a whill of a dog. Billy Rayburn bought him. He was he wasn't a real leggy dog, you know, wasn't built really built he didn't look like he was built for speed, but he was probably the one of the fastest dogs I ever hunted with. You know, he'd take the walker dogs or the red bones or whatever and he didn't run a back seat to none of them. He could cover the ground. And his puppies the best ones that we had was crossed out on the hammer dogs, like on dial one. Those dogs made real dogs. So you were talking about crossing out with the hammer dogs. What do your dogs outcross well with that you have found? They cross good on most any of them, I think. They'll go back, like I was saying earlier, you know, I'd been nature picking me up a jet female. I think they cross good on that. And uh, the Hutchman dogs, I, I, I don't know. I hadn't had a lot of breeding on that you know with uh with these dogs of mine and 
course, Smoky River does good. It seems like it's all just kind of mixed together now, right? Mostly so. You know, you, you got some that uh, stays as close to it as we can on certain dogs. Now, the Utchman dogs, I know I've seen some of them. They got more of a black snout, huh? Well, some of them do, you know, but all of them don't. That's just a really left up to the breeder, you know, what he, if he on the color and all, what he wants to do with it. Do y'all get any of that black snout in any of your yeah. dogs? Yeah, old Jeremy's dog, old uh, Shadow, has got almost whole black head and snout. I meant to ask you this earlier. What did the hammer dogs go back to? What was the foundation? The old hammer dog, I think, was out of uh, Sebastian Penny, was that, was the mama to the old hammer dog. And she come out of the Vaughn Dogs. That's getting way back there, ain't it? That's way back there. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the 60s, huh? <laughs> yeah, at least. Early 60s, right? So how have hounds changed throughout your career of coon hunting? You've been coon hunting 40 years now? or 50. 50 years. You've been hunting 50 years. So how have they changed throughout your hunting career? Well, we got more more of a tree dog now than we had back earlier uh i don't think we've got a probably not got a better trail dog and keeping up you know the noses and the mouths and all that kind of stuff is is you kind of have to watch that now to keep it going the first dogs i had you know they would they was tree dogs like the old model they was tree dogs but they would pull the dogs we got nowadays for the most part you know once they tree that's it you just you go get them what about being more independent nowadays? Got a lot more independence nowadays than we had earlier. Even in your line of dogs? Even in my line of dogs, yeah. You just, do you think that was influenced by something or you just wanted them that way? Well, you always want them that way, but it, they, uh, the hammer dogs, now they had the speed, you know, they could run a track. Them boogers had the noses on them. Probably more, I got more out of the nose than anyway, anything on the, on the uh, hammer dogs. Now, when Tramp come, that put the showing up at the tree pyre in these dogs. Because uh, like I said, but now they was, they was quick tree dogs from the hammer dogs that I had, but uh, they would pull. And uh, the dogs we got today, they don't pull. They just, once they tree, then you go get them. Do you like the dogs that you're hunting now better than Bullet and those back in that time? You know, the individual dogs, I say, no, I don't like them better, any better, you know. But now, for the overall, yeah, I like the dogs we're hunting now better. We were talking about competition hunting influencing your breeding program. Do you think that almost subconsciously influenced you to try to breed for a more independent dog? Oh, sure. I mean, everybody wants that independence, you know I mean? Yeah, I mean, up to a certain point, you know, uh, you want you know, a dog trees, you want him to stay there till you get there, regardless. You know, if you've got to go around uh, a river or whatever to get to him, and it's three or four hours later, you want that dog to still be there. Do you breed for a chop mouth or a ball mouth on your tree? It don't really matter to me as long as, you know, uh, most of the dogs I've got now are, are ball mouth tree dogs. But, uh, I ain't got nothing against a, a chop mouth. The little female that I'm hunting, the, the young one, she's about nine months old, out of Jeremy's old uh, shadow dog. Now, she's a chop mouth tree dog. 
Sounds pretty good. And you were talking about hunting. You're still hunting a dog. How many nights a week do you hunt now? Probably four or five nights. Man, I hope I'm able to do that at that age. I'm not going to lie. What was the favorite dog you ever owned? Oh, Lordy. Probably the dogs that I've, uh, I, you know, that's in that, I'll say the dogs in that line. And Bullet and all those dogs. A lot of people have asked me, you know, through the years, what was my favorite dog? I'd, I'd always tell them, I said, well, I didn't have a favorite. All of them had their own time in my life, you know. And uh, some of them might have a little something I didn't like too much, but uh, uh, they'd have other stuff that I did like. I just say I, I liked them all. All the ones I've had, you know, they was they was pretty dear to me. What do you feel has been your greatest accomplishment throughout your hunting career? Probably the friends I made has been real big, you know, and the dogs I've had, the fun I've had. Like I say, I was I was as even as a little child, I was, I dreamed coon hunting, and uh, I'd get them old coon hunting books, carry them out on the rigs, and read them boogers word for word, you know. And you dedicate a lot of your time to coon hunting too, as far as the Blue Tick Association, right? Yeah, I've been in there in the uh, Blue Tick Breeders and Coon Hunters for a long time. I I was uh, I done that blue book for them for a few years. Uh, worked for UKC a few years as a field judge. A field rep, right? right. F- field rep. I said what? a field judge, it was a field rep, yeah. yeah. What was your greatest memories from doing that, being a field rep for UKC? Uh, just being with them, you know, getting to know all those uh, UKC, the people at UKC, great people, and uh, just working with them. When I started to work with them, <laughs> Well, whatever year uh, Katrina come through. Oh, five. That's when I started with them. We're talking about UKC, and you were there from the beginning of PCA too, right? Right. You used to hunt PCA? I hunted a little bit. I just, of course, I, I, you know, I didn't have the money and all to hunt both registries a whole lot, so I had to eventually decide what, to go with one, and I decided to UKC. But back in the days when PCA was around, was there more blue tick and black and tan, red bone participation back then, you feel like? Well, like I say, I don't know a whole lot on UPKC these days, especially, you know, because it's been a long time since I, I went in. I was part of that. Yeah, and I understand. So... Jeremy brought you up here today, and I do thank him for that, for getting you up here. And he hunts your line of dogs now. There's a couple other people that are real close to you that carry on those line of dogs. What does it mean to you to have people like Jeremy and those other people that are continuing your legacy? Oh, everything. It means a whole lot to me, you know. But if they didn't carry them on, you know, that would be the, probably be the end of them. they just eventually divide out to and the other line of dogs and kind of dissolve, you know. Is Misty River Kennels, that's what you want your legacy to be in coon hunting, mm-hmm. huh? Well, I'm happy that somebody's carrying it on, too. I and am, too. I think it's great. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, you know, in tune with blue ticks, but, I mean, I'm, I mean I've never seen a good dog the wrong color, right? So 
I don't know how many more blue tick breeders have, have had as many consistent winners as y'all have, you know, between you and Jeremy, uh, Justin's hunting some dogs now yeah. from that line. There's some other people. I mean, you probably got dogs all over the United States, right? Well, they may be. Uh, Do people come to you and get big game dogs ever? I have had it, but uh, lately I hadn't. But I, I have. Yeah, I've sold dogs over in Japan, like in different places like that, you know. Who are a few of the people that had the biggest impacts on your coon hunting career? Well, my dad and uh, Mr. J.W. Williamson that had the Pearl River Kennel. Uh, Billy Rayburn, he's the one that bought Tramp Dog, and uh, Jeremy Purvis. That's great, man. And there ain't no telling how many people you've impacted in your career, either you don't even know about, you know? Yeah. It's great. It really is. Yeah, I have been, you know, I remember one time I stand inside of the uh, out there at a filling station on the phone, you know, on his pay phone. And a guy stopped by and said, uh, ain't you Jack Smith? <laughs> I said, yeah. And, you know, it had come from that kind of stuff. What was the most memorable cast you've ever been on? Lord, if I wasn't sitting here, I could think of a hundred of them. I'd start telling, telling y'all about them. Uh, one cast I was on back, way back, is uh, hunting the old... Smith's Blue Jim dog. I was up there. I just, I, I took Jim up there to breed or something. But I was hunting a young dog off of him up there at the end of that hunt. There was a dog up there that a guy was hunting that had, I don't know, placed somewhere in the, it was a female that placed, she was black and tan, and it placed somewhere in the world hunt. Pretty high, you know. And, uh, and he was up there and, and, uh, uh, he had a night champion. He didn't hunt registered dogs and night champions at that time. And she was a grand night. And like I say, I was up there hunting another dog, and I just happened to have Jim with me. Well, some of the blue tick hunters there knew I had Jim with me. And uh, uh, they came and asked me if if I would hunt him that night against that black and tan. And uh, I said, well, I didn't come to hunt him, but I'll, I'll hunt him. So we went out there and uh, turned them loose, and, you know, they got in there, and Jim struck and treated a coon. Black Tan was kind of behind, you know, getting getting in there and all. So we went out there and found a coon, so that put me up on him pretty good. Then we turned them loose again, and uh, Jim fell in there, way in there and treated and struck and treated. Black Tan never did get with him. So we went out there and found a coon. We had some more time to hunt. And the fellow with a black tan said, no, said, I've had enough. But now, uh-oh. Oh, Lord, I've had, I've had some great casters with different people. I was hunting one night with Molly. Another guy had another blue tick, Jim Walker, was the guy's name. He lived over at Brookhaven at the time. And we was off, I think it was maybe in the southeast, Louisiana State Hunt or something. And uh, hunting old, I was hunting old Molly again. There was another dog in the cast that Billy Rayburn was hunting. It's before he had the smoke dog or the tramp dog. It's way back in there. Old Molly and that blue tick, we turned them loose in the cornfield. Boy, they went out of that cornfield and took a hung a left. Old Molly, she was chop mouth all the way, but she had a good change over because she, she was a triple chop. Oh, 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 you know, when she hit a tree. Well, she went in there and 
when they made that left turn, boy, she peeled that tree, and I treated her. And old Jim Walker just throwed his hat down. He said, all I can say is he beat her to the tree, or she beat him to the tree. Well, we went on, you know, and that was, uh, Molly was a, she was a fast dog, and she had a nose on her, you know, and they'd struck another coon, and they come through, and old Molly, she was a good bit ahead, you know, and they went on there and treed. And, uh, and so we had a, you know, we had a good hunt. And I won the Southeast Louisiana State Championship. I don't think I put it on here with, a, with a Molly that night. Man, I'm glad you remembered some of that. Man, people people love to hear people talk about stuff like that. They really do. I don't, I mean, I love it too. I really do. Well, let me tell you another little story. This is about the Jim Doe, how I lost him. We was hunting one night. Not too far from where I live now on uh, Water Branch Slough. We had two or three friends, uh, Ellis Bass and Larry Spikes and those guys. And uh, we had three or four dogs. Pearl River Ruby was in on the, on the, with, hunting with us that night. The Molly Jill was hunting with us that night. She was just a young dog then. And uh, I'm sure they, the other guys probably had one or two dogs with them. And uh, they went in there and struck and run a coon a ways and tree. Well, we sat there and listened to him tree minute. There, old Jim had a big old ball, ball mouth, and he was using it. And uh, Molly was treed, and Pearl River Rubies, you know, they was all just blow, blowing the top out. Well, all of a sudden, every dog quit treeing. We didn't hear another dog. We waited, wondering what was wrong. Of course, this was back before we had garments and all that kind of stuff, you know. An hour or so later, we... The dogs began to come in. Molly came in. The other dogs that we had with us came in. And then eventually Ruby came in. That's something that she didn't do. You know, you go you go get her where she was on track or a tree. And uh, she came in with her tail down. We didn't know. I ain't heard no more Jim. But it got on later, you know. And later in the night, on up toward 2 or 3 o'clock, well, the rest of them had to leave. They had to work the next day. Of course, I was in the oil field. I working seven, seven, or ten and five or something. Well, I hung around her and called and called and called, never heard nothing until uh, probably four o'clock. I just pulled my jacket off and left it there because that was a old-timey deal, the way to get get our dogs, you know. They'd come there and smell you on that coat, and they'd just lay down there and go to sleep. Well, about a little later daylight, I was back there. Jim wasn't there. So I went in there toward where he was, treed, you know, where I figured he was at. And uh, I searched all that day for him, and I couldn't find I didn't find him. Waited those old sloughs, and that day I didn't find him. The next day I went back searching for him, I didn't find him. The next day, uh, Billy Hathorne went with me. Of course, he wasn't, away, he wasn't going to wait those sloughs. <laughs> but anyway, I went on and waited them again. And uh, about 9 o'clock that morning, I found Jim. He had went up in a leaning tree. There was a limb growing right in the center of that tree, probably 25, 30 feet up, maybe not quite that far, some, somewhere in there. You could tell he had tried to go, I don't know where he was going up or coming, you know, decided to come down. Dogs have a lot more trouble coming down than they do going up. He had failed. Well, the fail probably wouldn't have got him, but uh, there was a reed cane there, and it had been sharpened off by beavers. And it uh, stuck all the way through him there about his heart. He had managed to get off of that 
reed cane. You but you you could tell it there. You know, there's blood all over it. And, but he didn't walk probably four or five steps. That was the end of a great coonhound. A sad story right there, Mr. Jack. Man, I was thinking you were going to say a gator got him down in there. Which hound impacted your career the most, do you feel? There's been a lot of dogs impacted my career now back through the years, but uh, the dogs that most impact my career was three dogs, and I didn't own neither dog. Pearl River Ruby, I owned her later in her life, but at the time she impacted my career, I didn't own her. Hammer Two impacted my career a whole lot, and then there was a uh, Tramp. I would say those were the three dogs that impacted my career the most. And that's right, you didn't you didn't own Tramp. Did you just had him his whole life, pretty much? Huh? I had him. Uh, we Bill bought Tramp when he was about close to two years old, and from that time on, he was at my house, and he died it. Yeah, I think he was 15, day, 15 years, four months, and two or three days old. And you still have breedings off of Tramp, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Might not want to put that out there too much. from people be calling you wanting something. <laughs> That's fine. Man, I, I thank you for coming down here. You come down to the house and want me to record this, and I'm just happy I could capture it all. And I thank you, Jeremy, Jeremy Purvis for bringing him down here and for helping me set all this up and for helping him out and makes it feel good for you to come down here for me to be able to interview. I know a lot of people are going to like this. I mean, especially, you know, for me growing up around here, you know, I always heard about you. I heard about your dogs. Uh, it's just great. It's great to be able to interview you, man. You have anything you'd like to say before we sign off or anybody you'd like to give a shout out to or anything like that? Well, there's one person that we all need to shout out to and, Without him, I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do nothing I've done or nobody, none of the rest of us. And that's Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord and Savior. Yes, sir, you are correct about that. And that's probably been the, I'm not going to say probably, that's been the most impactful person on your career, right? That's right. That's great to hear you say, and I'm happy you said that. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on here, Mr. Jack. Thank you for everything. You have a great day, Mr. Jack. Thank you. Great being here. I really hope y'all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like, at Coon Hunting U. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.